Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we are discussing The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Emperor's New Groove and the Hamilton fanfic Our Gilded Age by Screamlet. And welcome to episode 42 of Comedy, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Alex, and I am Obscurely Referential Memes. I'm Freya, and I am, surprising no one, dick jokes. (laughs) I'm Macy, and I am puns. Yes, you are. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about comedy and things that make us laugh and things that don't make us laugh and things that maybe should make us laugh. We'll get into all of that. Uh, But before we do that, fellow serpents, uh, what are we reading lately? Speaking of things that make us laugh, I recently Mm. read Their Brilliant Careers by Ryan O'Neill, which is extremely funny. So this is something I would not have picked up by myself. I got it off a wreck from KJ Charles on Goodreads, Mm. a bit circumstantial, circumferential there, because it's actually an Australian book. And it is a fake history of Australian literature in (laughs) essentially the whole late 20th century, featuring these interlocking biographies of fake literary figures. And oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It is amazing. You start off reading it, and you're like, oh, this is quite amusing. There's a few jokes about publishing industry and the literati, and then you realize that they're all very, very intertwined, and all these people were, like, having affairs, or they're somebody's <laughs> dad, or and they're just very Australian dry humor, and there's through lines and plots that start to appear it's, it's an odd book. It's not like anything else I've read recently, but it's really, really good. I definitely recommend it. I also read Witch Witch, which is essentially a middle grade fantasy book by Eva Ibbotson. Very Diana Wynne Jones-y. I hadn't read anything by Eva Ibbotson mm. before, but I really enjoyed this. It's a very quick read about a dark, fearsome sorcerer who realizes he has to get married to produce a son to inherit his dark, fearsome sorcery <laughs> and essentially has a reality show competition of all the witches down in the town to work out <laughs> oh, which one oh, he wait, has wait, wait. to marry. Is this Witch Witch? Yeah. Yes, it is. I missed the title. I was like fiddling with my, my uh, headphones. I read that book when I was like 14 and I loved it. I, I think I would have loved it if I'd read it at any age. And it's the first Eve Ibbotson I'd read. I just picked this up at a secondhand bookshop ages and ages ago because I remember vaguely hearing the name. It was lovely. I had a great time. And yeah, I have also been reading all of the Schitt's Creek fanfic by yeah. Lettered, who is one of my favorite writers in the Harry Potter fandom, and they are now writing for Schitt's Creek. And I don't read a lot of fanfiction these days, but I've been thoroughly enjoying all of their output in that fandom. Isn't it nice when an old favorite author comes into a fandom that you're newly in and it's like, oh, friend, even if they don't know you exist? My inbox for the last few weeks Alex, has been an explosion (laughs) of all these people that I've had subscriptions to through AO3 suddenly writing Good Omens fanfiction. Oh my god. And I'll wake up and be like, oh, another one. Oh, look, another one. Oh, someone else is writing Good Omens now. Ba-da-dum, dum, dum. Another one bites the dust. Ba-da-dum. Referential memes. Referential memes. memes. These past two weeks, I have not really been reading because I have been doing my scribbly finest and uh, 
collapsing on my carpet and staring at the ceiling for hours and scribbling on things with funny markers and cutting them up and tying strings to pins and then stabbing things because it's edit time. She's not solving a serial killer murder, even though it sounds like she is. I it, Basically that. I'm ripping my entire book to shreds and sticking it back together again and hopefully the digestive tract will still connect. That's, uh, that's very so serial killery. I, I approve. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am what I am. I can't, I won't apologize for it. So because I'm editing and I'm really deep in picking apart my book, I find it really hard to read other people's books and then not get like bits of their guts mixed up with my book's guts. And when I stitch it back together again, suddenly there's a Pratchett stomach. Um, so instead I have been watching TV and I have been watching a whole bunch of and tweeting a whole bunch about the murder forest mist spooky TV show Black Spot. And it's full of corvids and I can't tell whether or not it's supernatural. And I've watched like seven episodes of it <laughs> and it's in French. And like at one point a wolf gives the main character a baby. And I'm like, is this normal? Does this just happen in France? Because I'd believe you if you told me so. <laughs> so it's sort of magical and realism. It's, yeah, well, it isn't because that's a Latinx thing, but it's like this weird sort of makes you doubt yourself. Like, is it going to turn out that everyone was just popping acid? Mm, Maybe. Sure. And the secondary main character is a soft gay forest boy whose name is Nunurs, which means teddy bear. Aww. And he has a guinea pig that he keeps in his office at the police station. And occasionally there'll just be a guinea pig in the Aww. middle of the police station. So he's debrief. like a manic pixie dream policeman. Yeah, he is. He has an affair with a fireman. Love that. And I also um, tumbled backwards into Black Sails fic again because I watched two episodes of season three, which is a good season brunt, um, and fell over into Flint Silver fandom. I'm sorry. Sweet. It happens. Freya's like smugly smirking at me. <laughs> So my bullshit continues. Uh, I have been reading oh, always. more. Always, always, as you know, I am constantly on my bullshit. Um, I have read more Good Omens fanfiction, of course. Uh, but I also took a brief break uh, to watch the first season of Shit's Creek uh, because Freya has been talking so much about it, and I have heard other people say good things about it, and it was very enjoyable. Uh, I've heard that the second season gets like more funny and better. It does. I think the style of humor shifts a little bit it gets a little bit less mm. cringy and more about relying on your your knowledge of the characters and it's gets more warm-hearted i think i think the first season was still finding its feet in terms of its emotional tone yeah mm. there were still a couple moments in season one where i really expected them to play it off as this is funny because we hate each other and instead they like swerved away from that like this family is like they fight all the time but they do genuinely like care about each other and the husband and wife like have each other's back and oh yeah and like that was surprising to me just showrunners have said that they wanted to make it a show about kindness where mm. kindness always yeah. wins and people always end up taking the kind mm -hmm. road which really shines through uh and then someone on tumblr linked me to a fanfic for the video game detroit become human and I was not so much suplexed into the fandom as I sauntered vaguely through a corner of it. Uh, that has been my last couple days. Apparently, like, what I just want from life right now is fanfiction about people who can sort of, like, choose their genitals according to the whimsy of the moment. 
which cool i don't know i don't know man i don't know and then because i was into the fanfic i started watching this like super cut of the video game itself that someone made where they took all the cutscenes and they edited them together into this like seven hour long movie oh god uh yeah and so i'm like very slowly <laughs> making my way through that watching it like 10 minutes at a time and i'm nowhere close to the end but it seems like a really cool game. Like, have you seen the co sort of weird, cool stuff that CGI can do these days? Because, like, they get the... I have. Yeah. They get the micro-expressions on these characters' faces, like, so perfect. And it looks like actual people talking and acting instead of just, like, sort of dolls moving their mouths at each other. Really cool. I do know what CGI today can do because I, too, was subjected to the Cats trailer. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> I've watched, I've watched it three times. <laughs> I think I've also watched it three times. I Listeners, have spare yourselves. I have very mixed feelings about the Cats trailer. Which... I don't. Oh, I have extremely yeah. mixed feelings, but I'm oh, still yeah. watching it Oh, three yeah. Times. I mean, we're definitely watching it. Yes, no. for sure. Can't make me. Yeah. So let's move on. Uh, real quick, <laughs> uh, dear listeners, if my audio is a little bit weird this week, it's because it is 84 degrees Fahrenheit, 29 degrees Celsius outside, 76% humidity. It is currently 10 p.m. at night where I am. So I am keeping my air conditioning on for this episode, and that may affect the quality. And if it does, I'm sorry. But also, I don't love you enough to turn off my air conditioning today. We, we like our Alex to not have heat stroke. Yes, we do. Yes, we yeah. do. Yeah, that's a preference that, like, I believe that Freya shares with me. Yes, and Alex has already had severe heat exhaustion and dehydration once in their life, so Alex has to be treated sort of with kid gloves when it comes to extremes of, of heat this. and humidity. I know. I won't But in other news, this episode will be edited while the serpents are on an amazing and mysterious writing retreat in Irish backcountry, not far from Letterkenny, hilariously. Mm. Um, and we will be having a house party where maybe someone will get murdered, um, or maybe there will be a scandalous love affair. Um, and almost certainly there will be a seance in a cave if we can find an appropriate cave. I have been told gonna... there are appropriate caves. Like, I specifically Ooh. asked, are there appropriate caves to have a seance? And our darling host said, yes, but they're tide caves, so we just have to make sure that we get out of them before the tide comes in. Ooh, so seance with bonus drowning potential. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> and I know this sounds like it was specifically planned so that we would all have an amusing chapter to put in our memoirs about that time <laughs> we almost drowned in a seance <laughs> in Ireland. And if you are thinking that, you are possibly semi-correct. <laughs> Listen, that's just the kind of glamorous lives we lead yes. in which our shoes are full of wet sand and somebody stepped on a muscle and cut their foot. Yep, <laughs> so this episode will be going up after Worldcon. Uh, presumably we had a lovely time at Worldcon it's about three weeks away we're looking forward to it yep we yep. we are are looking forward to being grateful to have seen you there there we go that's how how does well the passe composé in uh passe plus perfect future something wiggle yes well conjugated <laughs> well <laughs> conjugated Thank this you. is why alex is our designated humanities major yes <laughs> yes <laughs> to do all the complicated verbing let's move on with the fucking episode let's get an episode gone shall we <laughs> let's let's shall let's shall freya what makes yes. something funny? Oh, well, this is one of those lovely questions <laughs> where the answer is possibly five essays and two books. But I think I wanted to start by recommending to you and to all the listeners Hannah Gadsby's TED Talk. Okay. 
So Hannah Gadsby is an Australian comedian who rose to prominence in the last couple of years because of her Netflix mm. special of her stand-up show, Nanette. And she has since then done a TED talk called Three Ideas, Three Contradictions or Not. And it is a very interesting 15 minutes worth of her breaking down why Nanette worked as comedy and why some people complained about it not being comedy and how she goes about crafting jokes specifically for stand-up. But the main thesis of it is that a basic rule of creating comedy is to subvert expectation. And the one way she does that is she gives an example of setting up three ideas and making the third one a contradiction or a subversion. So the example she gives in the talk is that she talks about, oh, my name is Hannah. It's a palindromic name. Everyone in my family has palindromic names. And so she says, mum, pause for laughter, dad, you know, Hannah. And then she goes, and then, of course, my brother, kayak. <laughs> and that, well, and it's part of the same joke. And you've laughed a little bit at the first two because they're kind of like, haha, mum and dad aren't proper names. And then she just completely turns around and is like, and here's something ridiculous. And so she used that as the basis to explain how you can structure jokes in stand-up comedy using that. But a lot of what she talks about is the very basics of what makes something comedy versus not comedy. Mm -hmm. Definitely worth checking out. I think that's a really good point about um, you. Laughter is about surprise. Yeah. Right. Um, And there are lots of different ways to do it. And we'll be talking about that in some of our tent poles. But it's about something unexpected or just a little off kilter. And the ways that you catch a lot of people with the same surprise, I think, is part of the thing that makes comedy the hardest part, for me at least, of fiction. Mm. Like to craft something funny that is funny for the majority of people consuming it, that's really hard to do. Hmm, Because you want to rely on something shared, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, if you rely too much on people's assumptions, then they'll see the punchline coming. Yeah, or they'll feel locked out because only a small subsection of people will have that shared experience. Yes. But shall we continue? Yes. So speaking of things being just a little bit off kilter, uh, this Mm. is episode 42. I have been um, swearing up and down since like somewhere in the 20s that for episode 42, we absolutely, absolutely had to Tentpole Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And finally, we are, because it is here. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is probably one of the more famous uh, comedy books, especially comedy sci-fi. If you, by some weird coincidence, you have not seen it or listened to the radio show or uh, read the the book, watched the movie, read the book, uh, it has been adapted in multiple ways. Um, It originally was a radio show. I think it started airing in the 80s. Uh, about a man from a little town in England, Arthur Dent, who wakes up one morning to find out that his house is going to be knocked down to make way for a uh, bypass, a a freeway for you Americans. Yep. And so he lies down in front of the the bulldozer until his friend Ford Prefect, who is who is an, named after a car because he is an alien from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Beetlejuice, uh, comes along and tells him that the world is about to end in fifteen minutes because the Earth is about to get destroyed to make way for an interstellar bypass, <laughs> and uh, it's a classic of science fiction, and everyone classifies it as a comedy and the first time when i read it when i was 14 i didn't particularly laugh about it and when i was rereading it this week i also didn't particularly laugh about it so like 
it's clever, but I don't know that I, I personally would go so far as to classify it as funny because I'm not actively laughing at it. Whereas I would, and it's because of the context in which I came across it first. Yeah. I was read this book aloud by my mother when mm. I was probably around oh, maybe nine, mm. I think. And my brother, because I, I have this very vivid memory, my brother had one of those car beds yeah. of mm. my mum reading books to us while my brother, we would both go and sit in my brother's car bed. And she read us The Hobbit that way. And she definitely read us Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I remember laughing so hard. Like she had to keep pausing while we <laughs> laughed because for children who'd never come across this kind of comedy before. Mm-hmm. And I think watching us laugh at this was that my parents realized we could start watching things like Blackadder and Absolutely Fabulous with us because that was the kind of humor that our family sort of bonded around. But I, it stands out so clearly. There are some lines that I can still remember mm-hmm. hitting me for the first time. Like there was a line that says, Ford, you're turning into a penguin. Stop it. <laughs> Which to a child is so fucking hilarious. Yes. I still like the thoughts that go through that poor fucking sperm whale's head as he's falling. Yes. And that's pathos humor. Because you're like, oh, oh no. Sperm whale. <laughs> oh, because the, yeah. at one point, the one of the core concepts of this book is that um, one of the other main characters has stolen a spaceship that operates on the infinite improbability drive. Ad that manages to yeet itself from one part of the universe to another by means of making it deeply improbable that it wasn't already there, kind of. Um, <laughs> See, that explanation of it is also very funny. <laughs> A lot uh, of the concepts but, in it are. Yes, yeah. uh, but but one of the consequences is that a vast amount of deeply improbable bullshit happens around it any time this drive gets turned on, including missiles turning into a doomed sperm whale and a bowl of petunias who then plummet towards a planet and the bowl of petunias only thought is not again (laughs) and if humor comes from surprising you with something you weren't expecting the first time you read this like basically page by page by page something is happening that you're not expecting but it has a few different types of humor in it it definitely does i think for me um absurdist humor is a fine line to walk because if they just throw complete bullshit on the page for absolutely no reason that never connects back, after a while you're just like, where's the payoff? And I find that Douglas Adams pushes that line pretty hard. Um, mm, I would agree. I think a lot of the humour comes line by line rather mm-hmm. than rather than setting up a long payoff. And actually, I, was, I have to tell you this story. So when I was reading through my very old pen paperback copy of Hitchhiker's Guide for this episode... I hit a page where I was like, okay, there are three different types of jokes all on this page. This is a great example. I better bookmark it. And I realized it was page 42, which I thought was very (laughs) apt. So the three jokes, uh, the one where Ford is thinking that if human beings don't keep on exercising their lips, he thought their brains start working. And that's part of like a paragraph about sort of observational kind of dark humor about humans being the worst. (laughs) And then there's a sort of set up call and response joke, which is how do you feel? Like a military academy, bits of me keep on passing out. (laughs) Which is very much a completely different, it's almost like a knock-knock joke. Right. Uh, And then then nearer down the page, we get much more of that kind of like sarcastic, what I think of as Ben Elton-y kind of humor, where Ford says we're safe. And then he goes on to say, oh, we're in a small galley cabin in one of the spaceships of the Vogon constructor fleet. 
Ah, said Arthur, this is obviously some strange usage of the word safe that I wasn't previously aware of. And that is, is like, that's the TV dialogue humour. You can imagine that being said in a comedy. So I think that's such British bullshit. Yes. It's it, like, And the thing is, I could hear my father saying something like that just to be yeah, a pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah, my parents as well. And that's, I think that's what I meant when I thought about the reason this kind of humour resonates so hard for me is because it's the sense of humour that my parents share. And so it's the sense of humour that my siblings and I share. And we grew up reading this, watching British comedy shows that share this kind of humour somewhere on their family tree. And I was going to say, I think that the reason, like Macy mentioned about how Douglas Adams is like really pushing the line of where surrealist humour stops being funny and where the where the payoff is. And I think that one of the reasons why Hitchhiker's Guide originally worked so well was because of the structure of the radio show, where you were taking it weekly in mm. like 20 minute bursts. Uh, and so I think that you would generally have a higher tolerance for the surreal stuff rather than like when you sit down mm. to read the book, like you read a big chunk of it all at once. That yeah. And I'm, I'd be interested to see where they made the divisions for the radio show. Like does each episode have a sort of arc of as a set piece like is there one chunk of thing that happens that's quite funny because when you're reading it straight through as a book it's yeah i i listened to several episodes of the radio show in addition to the book because i had never listened to to it before and i um wanted to see what was different um the radio show leaves out naturally which makes a whole lot of sense or rather the book adds things in because the radio show came first so a lot of the narrative bits and description um, for example, in that first chapter, the bit about the supervisor at the construction site, about how he is a very, very distant, uh, direct male line descendant of Genghis Khan, that is not in yes. the radio show. And it's it's a great paragraph. I think it's a great addition to the book. So it was definitely beefed out a little bit. But also because mm-hmm. it's because of the, the structure of the forum, it has to be a little bit more sleek and a little bit more streamlined. Uh, and it does kind of go in chunks. But let's let's move on to the next tentpole, Freya. Freya. Yes, our next tentpole is this week's fanfic tentpole. Yes. And this is a duet of fix. The series is called Our Gilded Age by Screamlet. And it is Hamilton modern day politics AU-ish. Given that they are politicians, it's not really AU, but the conceit is that the modern day American government more or less is the people from the founding fathers' time of government, but basing the characterization on how they appear in the Hamilton musical with a few sort of modern spins. Yes. This is something that I discovered, I can't remember how long ago now, but I reread it very frequently. They're both very short, they're snappy, they are very funny, and... I enjoy the hell out of them. What did you think of them? I, yes. I think you were the person who originally linked me to this one. Um, and this is, this is definitely something that I laugh aloud at. Um, because it has that kind of situational humor. It has a characterization dialed up to 11. Um, it has that sort of overdramatic Hamilton screaming at people. Amusing choices of dialogue tags. <laughs> yes. Dialogue yep. tags can go so far yes. towards humor. But also the structure, like showing uh, emails or text text mm-hmm. exchanges. The group like, chat. Some of the funniest text message exchanges yep. I have ever seen. Was I? This didn't really land for me, I have to say. Totally fair. Because like, I, I think that that's a really good point too, because like, not every kind of comedy is going to be for everybody. So 
do you want to talk yeah, about for, for me it didn't have it didn't flesh anything mm. out enough for me to care about any of it. sure it was just sort of like jokes it was just punchlines okay. and i think that maybe a lot of the punchlines like were beefed out if you had more of the references mm. but i found it kind of too off the cuff it it found it felt a little bit like those weirdly exaggerated movies like teen movies of of teenagers in high school being snappy mm, sure. like buffy comebacks sure sure that's true i think a lot of see for me i i quite enjoyed that over structured almost mm-hmm. like wearing its fakeness on its sleeve dialogue that you only you get in certain types of humor that and i put a note in our document saying that nobody actually ever talks like this meaning that the kind of back and forths you see there are what you see in very well-structured and well-written comedy where nobody is actually that smart and nobody has that off-the-cuff esprit d'escalier it's like West in real Wing. life. It's very like West Wing dialogue. Yes. Yeah. Right? And you're like, nobody nobody would ever successfully carry off this 15-part banty, ba- witty banter. I'm trying to say witty banter, but I keep saying banty <laughs> in my head instead. So that's how my day is going. Bitty wanter, which is a Bitty wanter. <laughs> And spoonerisms are a whole different type of humor. Oh, I fucking love spoonerisms. Oh, That's related to puns. so much fun. You know, they're like sort of toying with words sort of humor. I don't think there was yeah, a lot of right. toying with words in this fic. And that's sort of your... Yeah, I think that we, we all have slightly different tastes when it comes to humor. And I think that that's something that is super specific to people. And so really successful, funny things have a wide spread. Yeah. Right? And they manage to catch people. Well, that, 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 I think that links a little bit well to the next tempole because mm, the next mm-hmm. tempole is something in a genre of things that are trying to be funny on a few different levels at once, which yes. is animated films aimed nominally at children that are also family films because they're trying to be funny for the adults as well. Yes. So the next tempole that we're talking about is The Emperor's New Groove, which is a Disney movie about an Incan emperor who is kind of a selfish twat. Um, who gets himself turned into a llama and tries Comedy to gold. not be a llama yep. anymore while still being a selfish He twat. has to discover the power of friendship and also yep. how to be ethical. How yep. to be ethical. It's uh, basically Kado. Well, it's like Kado's worst <laughs> nightmare. Kado, yeah, Kado like, fucking hates this film. <laughs> also, another film that Kado hates, uh, The Lion King. That's fair. So the great thing for me about this film, uh, there are a lot of fun lines in this film, but I am I have a deep abiding affection for some of the physical and choreographed humor. The there is a scene in which um, the peasant who is helping the emperor back to the main city uh, falls through a rope bridge and gets tangled up in the rope bridge, and the emperor still alarms like Nina, Nina, I'm leaving you there, and I'm going to go off on my own you i tricked you into thinking i was a good person haha and then also falls through and gets tangled up in the ropes and they proceed to have a fist fight while dangling from a rope bridge above a canyon and bouncing back and forth some good slapstick absolute idiots and then the bridge collapses it's some real good you deserve that yeah i just it was so much fun yes it is a really fun film and, like, it has some great animation, too. Like, it does that... The The wonderful thing about animation is being able to over-exaggerate yes. reactions, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that Emperor's New Groove has, like, some really, really wonderful examples of that used effectively. 
And oh. it's because it's so stylized. Yes. Like the character designs in and of themselves are funny. Yes, and the llama is fucking hilarious. Just as a thing being on your screen, this is a llama. Yep. Yeah, and it really pushes the envelope in terms of how much comedy can we wring from the whole concept of being turned into an animal. And they do it even later on in, when they have the guards just randomly turned into a whole group of random animals. Yep. And like one of, one of them is a whale. Yeah. And one of them is saying, I've been turned into a cow. May I be excused? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yes. Anyone else? And everyone else is like, nah, I'm fine being no, an good. actually. This is good. Uh, but another <laughs> of my favorite scenes was um, the all four of the main characters, the emperor and the peasant and the advisor who turned the emperor into llama in the first place and her bodyguard, Kronk, end up in a diner. Oh, yes. Together? Oh, yes. 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 And the llama has dressed as a very ugly woman because the diner is strictly no llamas and he's hungry <laughs> and <laughs> is pretending to be the peasant's wife. And there is this extended gag where the llama and the advisor are on either side of a swinging door going in and out of the kitchen trying to order food like right after one another yep. and keep nearly getting spotted. And that is really funny because of the tension because at that point in yes. the, the film like oh no oh no is she going to discover uh, Cusco the the emperor who's been turned into a llama because she wants to kill him right and yeah, so she wants to kill him. it's it's funny because you have this tension between what's going on but also the awareness of what the stakes are yep and what's going on is so silly yeah it's so silly yep and that again later in the film you have where isma and kronk go and visit pacha the peasant's family mm -hmm. and again there's this sense of menace because you know that they are up to no good and they, they mean them ill but they're pretending to be random relatives who are just there to have tea and so then you have this extended comedy sequence where this very pregnant unimpressed wife and these two tiny children manage to outsmart the advisor and lock them in a room and then like roll them down a hill and again it's all <laughs> visual gags that works because there's been this tension built up in the scene that's suddenly breaking yep 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 and i think this is one of my um favorite types of comedy involves some of this this humor in visual media can make use of body language and facial expressions and it can make use, you know, of audio. So there's the delivery and the timing and the tone of voice. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that in written form? So part of it that you can do is literally just formatting it on the page because you do have a tendency to take like a nanosecond break between at the end of a paragraph. So if you want to set off a punchline, you just put it on a new line. Like there is some, and it sounds kind of clunky, but literally that is a thing you can do. But I feel like I've seen some people do this really well. And I want to say that Cassie, A.K. Lockwood, whose book's coming out in February, um, it's the unspoken name, I think, yep. has some really cool stuff around like describing facial expressions mm. um, that are just fucking hilarious because you can see which characters know things and are looking and seeing things and which characters aren't and the narrative the narrative voice is giving you the camera's eye view that the character who really needs that information doesn't have and so that tension makes it really funny mm. well, that's good i think i haven't come i'm trying to think of any examples i have where someone has managed to describe facial expressions so, so that you get visual humor i think pratchett does it quite well in some cases because he has a knack for sort of capturing how someone looks not necessarily by describing the micro expression but by maybe making a slightly offbeat comparator that mm. makes you think yes now I, I have the movie of this going in my head 
and it's adding to the wordplay that's already taking place. Yep, yep. Particularly body language, I feel, with Pratchett. Um, Particularly, Mm, like, people being slumped and tired and, like, done. Yeah, because I think, that's right, he has the the body language stuff and the words, but he misses that that third arm, which is the audio, where you have, like, the delivery and the voices and things like that. And I was thinking about what you said about radio plays, Alex. My favourite example of a comic radio play is one where basically the, the writing is very funny. I'd say the majority of the humor is in the delivery, and that's cabin pressure. I love that mm. radio show. Mm-hmm. So good. It's a very, very funny radio drama starring Benedict Cumberbatch in one oh, of God. the main roles. Mm-hmm. If you don't think Benedict Cumberbatch can be funny, you should listen to this because he absolutely can, about a very small charter airline and the semi-incompetent, hilarious people who run it. An air duct. And it's an old. air duct, Freya, because they only have one plane, not an airline. Yes. <laughs> It's not an airline, it's an air dot. So there's a lot of, like, again, wordplay and the dialogue. It's very cleverly written and all the episodes work very tightly as nice set pieces of humour. But so much of it comes from the build-up of running gags Mm. and getting to know the characters and knowing how they fit together and what's funny to them, but also just the delivery. Like, Roger Ailes has this very dry, superbly nonchalant, Mm -hmm. sarcastic delivery of his lines that are just hilarious in and of themselves. Great use of timing, too. Um, Yes. Because I forget what episode it is. It's one of the early ones. But there's this running gag about, like, having to land on this airstrip, except they can't unless there's an emergency. And uh, the two pilots have been fighting the whole time about whether... uh, Robert Ailes' character will be allowed to do this I think I've actually gotten thing. his name wrong. I think Roger Ailes is that fucking Fox News guy. Hang on. It's Roger someone. Roger Allen. Roger I knew it was Allen, Roger A. Right. And, I, and then for some reason, because I've been reading too much of the news, I was like, Roger Ailes? I'm like, no, no that's no, not no. Roger Allen, yes. Roger Allen. And at the end of the episode, like, like the whole time he's been wanting to, to do dangerous things to cut corners, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character has been very, like, by the book. Um, and at the end of the episode, they're in kind of a tight spot, and Roger Allen's character just, like, flicks a match and says, like, do you smell smoke in the flight deck? <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Timing is one thing that's really hard to capture on a page. And I agree that making a new line for something has the effect of giving a beat. Yes. And beats in comedy are very important. But I'm not quite sure how else you can can replicate that in, in text form. So I know, like, when we're talking about beats in comedy, like, there's also kind of conversational beats as well. Um, and this is something that I sometimes have trouble with in, in social situations uh, like Barcon. Um, but Macy's kind of like the Barcon expert. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you have any like insights or thoughts about this. Yeah, so I think that there's this is talking a little bit about the difference between writing and creating comedy and being funny. Mm. Right. And when we're talking about being funny, particularly in groups of people, there's like. A thing that you learn to do when you're trying to do it on purpose and you have something funny to say where you gather attention, then pause, and then say the punchline in a particular tone that can fairly reliably make people laugh even at really stupid puns. Mm -hmm. But it's all about kind of this, um, oh, everyone's breath is held because we have kind of signaled that something is about to happen. And then it's, 
on a hot tin roof and then it's a reference and oh that's yeah. funny because i recognized it and ha 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 right. um and it's the and release of tension as well right it's exactly that um and that one's very learnable i'm like there's a lot of ways of being in social groups that are a lot more learnable than people think mm -hmm. but i had fun like experimenting with that one over a long period of time and you can tell people who have learned it very very well because very good stand-up comics mm -hmm. have that immense grasp of when their audience is going to pause and when how they can bring their audience with them when yes. they can hold a beat how long they can hold a beat and what kind of tone of delivery is going to make that joke land exactly that and the person who for me does this best in written form um is connie willis um, at least in the the book of hers that we have spoken about, to say nothing of the dog, has this gift of building up tension and ratcheting it up and you see the thing that's about to happen and then it just pauses. And then does it happen or not? Like the, the event, the, are they going to find the cat? Um, is this person going to meet that person in a terrible way? Like that anticipation that the audience has that's kind of held and suspended and grown and grown and grown mm -hmm. uh, she is really very good at pushing it but not so far that you forget why it's funny yes mm, i agree she's very good at extending those things past where you think they're gonna work yeah and i want her skill <laughs> and it reminded me of the gag from rocky horror picture show oh yes the oh, yes. anticipation you could have paused longer there. Could've, I could have. We could have drawn that out. Push it. <laughs> I mean, and that, like beats are something. A lot of. I'm going to draw back the curtain a little bit here. We're good. We might draw back the curtain a little bit later on, but since we're talking about beats here, I just want to mention it. When I'm editing the audio of an episode, a lot of times I will tweak when someone says something, because sometimes an extra second of pause or like taking a couple seconds of pause away makes a certain mm -hmm. interaction more funny like it's very funny to us in the moment because we're the ones involved in it but when you listen to it because we're nerds uh but like when you listen to it afterwards like you want to really like have the beats right to make up for the fact that mm -hmm. you're not actually involved at that moment yeah and I, and I think people who are very good at improvisational humor are the ones who learn to internalize that to the point of being able to replicate it in real time mm -hmm. yes. yes and improv people who do improv are super cool so, I admire them, but it is not for me. No, no, not um, for me. If either. you ever get John Chu in a con, he will tell you all about improv and it's great. Also, uh, Marty Cahill. Mm. But one of my favorite types of humor, and you see this a ton in British writers, is wordplay humor. Why do you like puns so much, Macy? I like, they feel like a game, right? Okay. It's very like quick response, connection, um and you can riff off other people with it it's very like community uh like social bonding mm -hmm, that's true whereas i i like planned euphemism so obviously we made a joke about me and my dick jokes and the hamilton fic that i wrote that had 35 dick jokes in it <laughs> yes and that's less because i have the sense of humor of a five-year-old but you know occasionally <laughs> one does and more because i love that satisfaction of double meaning yes. and being able to play with multiple meanings of a word in a way that makes something funny. Yes, I love that. And there's this um, satisfaction of decoding a riddle when you get a joke that is like that. Yes. It yes. just makes you feel this little buzz of, ooh. Yes, and uh, sort of like when you have those like multi-tiered memes 
uh, where mm, there's like three mm-hmm. memes in one image and you have to... Three kn- memes in a trench coat? Three memes in a trench coat, right. Uh, and you have to yes. have awareness of all of the memes and then sort of put them together to make one super meme. Mm. Fucking loss. Yeah. Fucking loss, loss is the worst. exactly. Loss is the worst. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I know we, we've talked a lot about Terry Pratchett throughout this because I think the Discord series is just this perfect encapsulation of the use of humor. There is one joke... Like every time I read the Discord books, I find new wordplay that I hadn't mm. recognized either because I hadn't read or experienced or had the cultural reference to recognize it or just because it had passed me by. And we were talking about written word versus spoken word. Mm-hmm. So Mark Osherode, who does the Mark Reads videos, mm. is doing the whole Discworld series at the moment. Oh, and that he's poor up boy. To, <laughs> he's up to unseen academicals. He's getting quite far through. Um, and there's a a word joke in there that I didn't had never realized in my rereads of this book. And I only realized it because when he spoke it aloud, I could hear it. And then he paused and laughed about it because he recognized it speaking it aloud. And it's when the two characters, the two girls are on a tram and that one of them is saying, you know, you should learn to speak better because people will take you more seriously or, you know, you might get better jobs or whatever. And they get stopped by the conductor who says, my fair lady. Ha <laughs> And it's because they were having a conversation about learning to speak yep, better yep, to yep. get a better job. And then the and so next line is My joke. Fair Lady. Yeah, well, it's a My Fair Lady joke. And it was something that I had never actually picked up because in the text it says My Fair, F-A-R-E, comma, mm-hmm, lady. Right. And it's in context because they're on a tram. But when you read it and out loud, did, yeah. And his books, I think, are full of those kinds of wordplays, some of which I'm sure I haven't picked up and I won't pick up until my 10th or 11th reading. And see, that's great because that's like completely not a joke unless you happen to have the context of a particular, not that obscure British play, musical, and connect it with the situation and these characters. And I like that. Yeah, it's not it's not exclusionary at all. Yes, because exactly. Because it just comes across as a normal line unless you have the secret knowledge. And I think that's super important um, in order to not make the people unwelcome who don't get that particular form of humor right i think that's how you make it feel accessible because like i never feel stupid reading a pratchett book and getting something that i didn't get last time that never makes me feel like i was dumb last time i read it it makes you you feel like you're more clever now right because you don't feel like he'd be judging you for not Mm. getting it the first time you're not meant to get everything and also he hasn't paused for for laughter there's no gap saying you should laugh now this was a joke right which is again very british Mm. as opposed to american yes the laugh track kills me i cannot deal with it no i can't either (laughs) it gets like that's one thing about sitcoms like your classic sitcoms that has always alienated me because like they're laughing at either something that i don't really think is funny or something that is like actively cruel and mean and, but even yeah. when they are better than that, like even with like, I really enjoy Jane the Virgin sometimes mm. uh, because it's a sitcom that never, it isn't cruel. And I'm imagining from how you two are speaking about Shit's Creek that that's kind of a similar thing there. But even so, like laugh tracks still kind of frustrate me a little bit because I'm like, I know it's funny. You don't have to give me this thing. Yeah. yeah. The, the only sitcom with a laugh track that I watch regularly is One Day at a Time. And I think I've just learned to live with the laugh track because of the kind of jokes the show makes. It's very much progressive humor, never punching down, Mm -hmm. um, always sort of laughing at power 
in a way that's trying to defuse the a very dark situation and so the the laugh track almost feels like warmth like it's like there's a lot of people who are on the same side as the characters finding the okay. same things funny that they find and it never feels like they are being laughed at even when they're sort of slightly being laughed at a little bit yeah yeah that makes sense so what other books or, or stories have you found funniest so i want to talk about in other lands oh p- yes please <laughs> because <laughs> we like that book. we did we like it that we love that book. yes we do it's so much fun and it's so fucking hilarious so this and is by sarah reese brennan yes this is by sarah a very reese funny brennan. writer <laughs> and it's funny on multiple different levels one of those levels is that the main character is a sarcastic little brat didn't we tentpole this for disaster bisexuals we did yes, yes. that's what i thought um and so you have a character who is legitimately witty and cutting and funny um just as a person like if you interacted with him in life you'd think he was annoying but also clever and funny probably yeah or just want to kick him um but <laughs> but also she sets up situations that are really funny like the matriarchal the elves oh yeah oh god <laughs> <laughs> the entire unicorn gag is so good oh yeah 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 the obsessed that was what well, what that was like the obsessed with spit with purity thing yes where they're all out on like a field trip and there's one member of this high school class who has not yet had sex and he's so annoyed that everyone's <laughs> like you go deal with the unicorn he's like shut up shut up all of you i don't want to hear it stop <laughs> and everyone's like but everyone's like but you're so hot why didn't you stop talking to me <laughs> Uh, and show, I was thinking, like, um, all the stuff with, like, the matriarchal elves, which is so fucking funny to us because it's a pure, like, toxic patriarchy just flipped onto women. Yep. And it's hilarious. And all of their, like, delicate, makeuply boys who couldn't possibly be asked to hold a weapon in their soft hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's a total subversion of expectations. Right. And it's yep. also a little bit mean about it. Like, it's a it's little, a bit, little like, bit mean. Not, like, mean in a nasty way, but, like... It's very clear that Reese Brennan does not like these things that she's skewering. Yeah, it has an edge to it. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely direct satire. Yeah. Yeah, it has an edge to it. And that, I think, heightens humor a lot. Like, one of my favorite TV humor things growing up was MASH, which I don't know if either of you have ever watched MASH. No. It's really dark. It's a TV show about the Vietnam War. It's also really old. And it's black humor and humor at the very cutting edge of despair because if you don't laugh, you'll just break down. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious, but it's dangerous at the same time, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that just it's... makes it funnier. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how the British deal with war. Yes. <laughs> essentially. Like oh, the yes. Blackadder, uh, Pit, Blackadder Pit. goes forth, the, the World War One season is extremely dark and has a lot of very sharp things to say about the way world war one happened and was run and all sorts of things like that but it's very very funny and but yeah blackadder is an interesting one it's got a very different tone across all of its seasons Mm -hmm. it's coming at things from slightly different perspectives whereas if you're going back to the uh, holy grail of british comedy shows we have to talk monty (laughs) python oh absolutely um, which is the absurdist foundation of douglas adams you know what the, the, the sketch about the parrot that's pi- that's pining for the fjords it's not dead <laughs> it's an ex-parrot like, why is this funny <laughs> yeah well in terms of things that have made me laugh the hardest i think as a kid 
as well as Hitchhiker's Guide, speaking of sort of funny, like, internal narrations and narrators who are annoying, sarcastic little shits. Yes. I remember sitting in my school library laughing hysterically at a series of books by an Australian writer called Catherine Jinks, and it's called The Pagan Series. Mm -hmm. It's historical fiction set at the time of the Crusades about a young uh, Arab Christian boy in and around Jerusalem who becomes attached to the Templar Knights. Mm. And Catherine Jinks is a historical academic. She's clearly done a lot of research on this time and there's a lot of very sharp period detail. But the narrator is so funny and the things that he observes about the people around him and the way he expresses it is absolutely hilarious. I love these books. I still reread them now. And as I grew up, I think I have preferred that kind of Mm, mm narration-based humour. But – I also think funny dialogue can be really, really good. Georgette Hare, I think, has some amazingly funny dialogue. And I have grown more and more appreciative of the hilarious set piece. And I think In Other Lands has quite a lot of funny set pieces. But the hardest I have ever laughed at a book is at a couple of the set pieces in Dorothy Dunnett's Lyman series, which are not lighthearted books at all. But because she has such a deft hand with emotion and tension, there are a couple of scenes in them that are extremely funny and they are funny because the characters in them are finding them funny. Mm. Like Mm. they are aware of the absurdity of their situation and they're surrounded by people who aren't seeing the absurdity. And she describes them trying not to laugh Mm -hmm. (laughs) while also describing with perfect word choice exactly how absurd the situation is to the extent that I think I like put down the book and hurt my stomach (laughs) before I could pick it back up again. I had not expected that in the middle of something as serious as a Lyman book. Yeah. Yeah. You're reminding me of the Vorkosigan civil campaign. Oh, yes. Fucking very similar. (laughs) Yes. Yep, similar thing. That fucking dinner party. That dinner party, though. I I love a set piece. I think that of the media that I consume, probably the most consistently funny thing is fan fiction. Um, Because you have, again, we always come back to this, that shared knowledge between the author and the audience. So you can do funny things by, like just having a line that relies on all of the like the setup for the joke is everything that you know about this character right Mm. um and like you know this character so well and then there is this one line which is either so perfectly them that it's hilarious or that goes against expectations in a certain way and right now the good omens fandom by the way is doing a fantastic job of this just want to (laughs) say um but can we talk a little bit about more about like writing humor and what goes into it so i have written funny things that are deliberately funniest but mostly in the fanfic world mm. i would say but also my first novel i there were some parts that i made tried to make deliberately funny mostly through having a character that was quite funny whereas in the book i'm writing at the moment i'm trying my hand at seeing if i can create a couple of funny set pieces like the ones that i admire in done it yeah and fish market there is the, the fish, fish market scene is extremely good for So I would be interested to to know if you guys read the fish market scene. I'm not going to make you analyze it now because you have to open it up. Like what about it is actually funny? Because I, from my point of view, I know how I was trying to make it funny, but I'm not sure what worked. I, th- I can tell you exactly what, for me, okay. what was mm-hmm. funny was, so 
Darling listeners, the fish market scene <laughs> in which to, in which our mischievous bastard of a mage has been forced to stomp around being lectured at about the history of fishing on this fucking island he does not want to be on with his stoic general that he's secretly in love with just kind of being there and being dutiful and this mage has had it. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, the moment that made it funny was the moment where the, someone flings a fish yeah. and that wasn't it. The thing that made it hilarious was when the stoic, dutiful general snaps and starts throwing them too. Yes. I was going to say yes. the octopus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that, and that is quite... That, that's good to know because I wrote this deliberately to be attention puncturing. Exactly scene. that. Yeah. Right. And it's like a it's like a sex scene or like a fight scene. A, a scene like this will it's puncture the thunderstorm breaking. Are, yeah. It will. If you've been building tension up in your novel, you have to realize that a scene like this is going to break it. And I had been deliberately building character tension between these two people, and I was like, right for the story to move on, we need that to lower down, and yep. this is how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But on a line basis, I think we mentioned earlier that a very well chosen dialogue tag. Mm -hmm can do a lot and also just using beats of interwoven dialogue to show that there's a lot of stuff happening at one time or even just yes. choosing a really good adjective yep, for yep. the way a fish falls to the ground. Yeah. And so I think you can put a lot of craft into these things, even though sometimes you're just writing something like, oh, this is quite funny. You know, you can instinctively feel it like you can instinctively feel the beats of a scene or mm -hmm. the beats of a conversation or the beats of stand-up comedy. But if you're trying to write something that is deliberately funny, sometimes you literally just have to sit there and go, what is a funny word? And you're not yes. laughing while you're <laughs> no, writing yes. it, but, but you're trying to make something that will make other people laugh by seeming effortless, even though it isn't. Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, and humor, like, it's, it's a lot about inviting your audience in, because I think you mentioned this earlier, Macy, about, like, the social aspects of humor um, mm -hmm. and how, like, you can use it as an in-group versus out-group identifier, like people who laugh at your joke are part of your in-group. But you can also use humor and comedy in a nastier way, like either against people or to like push people away from you, uh, alienate them in some way. There's something that a lot of um, social status TV shows, things like Revenge or Pretty Little Liars will do very effectively when they want to show that someone is on the outside of a social group. They will have the queen bee use a joke that everyone else laughs at. Yep. Even if it isn't addressed at the outcast, but it's just something that they just wouldn't get. And then the queen bee is like, oh, I'm so sorry. You wouldn't know that, would you? Right. Because it's like drawing and attention to the... It's brutal. Yeah. And it's drawing attention to the fact that this one character is missing some crucial piece of context that everybody else has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But interesting, on just jumping off from that, the way characters use humor can be very impactful when it comes to setting them up as... Are we on their side or not? Yes. So if you have a character who tends to use humor to exclude people or to punch down mm -hmm. at people who are lower in power or authority or privilege than them, we are automatically not on that person's side. Right. Because that's something that we find distasteful and we don't want to hang around with that person. It's a subtler kick the puppy. Yeah. You know, the it's thing the where you of... make a character kick a puppy so that people know that this is a bad character that you shouldn't be liking. It's mm. it's the person who laughs at the waitress who trips and falls rather than helping her up. Yep. Yeah, and it's a subtler because it's the kind of thing that some of us may have had applied to us or mm -hmm. seen happen mm -hmm. much more frequently. Right. Whereas there aren't that many people in real life who go around kicking puppies. One hopes. Really. One hopes. One hopes. I mean, they're out there, but in terms of what we interact with on our day-to-day -day basis and what we may associate with 
people that we have not liked or mm-hmm. unpleasant situations that we have been in. Whereas when it comes to craft and writing humour, I am almost superstitious about not actively trying to. Mm. And like, I am I am very much to the frustration of my agent and many of you lot, <laughs> a discovery writer. I'm just like, people are like, and then what happens? I'm like, <laughs> okay, Macy, where is your outline? And I hand you 15 words on a whiteboard. I'm like, this is my entire third act. Sometimes, no, to be fair, to be fair, sometimes you hand us a Florence in the Machine album. Sometimes I do hand you, no, I like two songs two from so- Florence in the Machine You're album. right, only two, a single, and you'd two be like, songs. This is my third act. <laughs> these, these, these two songs and this beautifully fleshed out character sheet yep, yep. are my third act. <laughs> and so, like, for me, humor has to come from inside of a character and it has to be very organic when I'm writing a scene that it will be funny in that way. And I have a really hard time trying to do that on purpose and or deciding in advance that I want this to be a quote unquote funny scene. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of like scared of creating humor. So I'm just like, if I just hide under a blanket that like this doesn't exist, maybe it'll be fine. That is so, so weird to me because you're such a funny person. Right. But I don't, it's harder when it's on paper. You know, I'm right. funny because I'm very quick. <laughs> That's true. Whereas for me, I, I think I'm comfortable with humor and I'm still working out what type of humor is in my particular voice. But because I have written fan fiction mm-hmm. for deliberately funny canons, like I wrote an importance of being earnest fanfic sure. in which I basically was very deliberately attempting to do Oscar Wilde humor. I have written right. a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fanfic where the humor came from adequately being able to capture the ensemble vibe and the particular voices of those individual characters. And that's been quite useful for me because I can Mm. think back to, okay, what kind of character produces funny dialogue? What kind of character produces a funny situation? And what are the different ways in which you can make that happen in text? Because I've tried my hand at a few different ways by aping someone else's style. That makes sense. Um, And I think as we head towards the last few minutes of our podcast, we wanted to spare a little bit of time to talk a little bit through the fourth wall. Not that we acknowledge the fourth wall ever, ever. on this podcast. We've never Darling listeners. The we record in a box. We are never uh, going to get listened to. <laughs> so Some why, of us. why are we funny? Are we funny? I uh, apparently we are because people keep tweeting at us about how like they're mad at us because they keep having to like stifle laughter while they're on public transportation. And well, part of <laughs> part of it is the fact that we laugh a lot. It's and true. If you're listening to people laughing, and if you're involved in the conversation emotionally, and if you're engaged, other people laughing will make you want to laugh. And sometimes it's because we have to listen to Macy saying the word yeet in her accent. <laughs> and sometimes it's because Freya has established this persona of like great poise and dignity. And then she'll say lazier in a really funny voice. <laughs> and we'll never get to hear it again. But it comes out of the blue and takes you by surprise. Yeah, sometimes there'll be just a surprise dick joke from Freya in the middle of something, and then we will just have to take a stunned, silent moment. Uh, I feel like at this point, you should not be that surprised. We're not like surprised. They're just always perfectly placed, and we just take a moment to appreciate them. Yes. Unlike many penises. Um, We have been doing this for 42 episodes now. We have on running gags. We we have a basis of shared context, which the listeners, if they have been listening for a while, 
understand things about our personalities and the way that we relate to each other and what our interests are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we can say words like robot boners or Freya talks about captive friends or all the other things that are on the drinking game. But I think we can have more impact with less because at this point we have a shared canon. I think also um, the fact that like we can make each other groan and tell us to shut up is funny for the listeners yeah as much as anything but hey listeners why don't you tell us tell us why are we funny listeners why are we funny i don't know that we can do it on purpose i don't think that's how this works please do not write in and request more puns yeah please don't do that (laughs) no it's fine if you write in and request more puns i promise that instead of more puns which i will not do because i don't pun on demand i'm bracing myself i will explain string theory okay fine i mean i'm pretty sure you could make string theory funny I managed to make um, Tchaikovsky's Gay Crisis pretty funny. It's true, you did. Just um, the words gay crisis are <laughs> inherently funny. Listen, if you put he's them Russian. Next to, next what to the Russian word is Tchaikovsky? not having a gay crisis I, at any one, one point in time. This is an in-joke that the listeners will not find funny unless you give me time to explain it. There was this time okay. where I was trapped in a car with Macy. Macy <laughs> locked all the doors to take me to the airport. In and fairness, I locked the doors because we were moving at 60 miles an hour. Locked and I the doors. I feel it prudent for Alex to exit. Locked me in to a car. No, I'm pretty and sure let you me were finish, envisaging her. Let me finish. <laughs> Macy locked me in a car and turned on some Tchaikovsky's violin concerto and proceeded to narrate the entire thing to me for like 30 <laughs> entire minutes. Things like, oh, and this is his gay panic moment. This is this is lots of flutes because he's realizing that he's in love with his student. Right. There's lots of fluttery emotion feelings coming from the trombones, which is not where I would have put them, but who knows? Let me um, so, Macy is a very funny person. We do have to end this podcast at some point, dear listeners. So <laughs> I'm going to tell you one more thing that okay. is hilarious, but drives me up the fucking wall. At the beginning of every episode before we start recording, Macy never has her audio ready to go. I am always hounding her, Macy, have you done an audio check yet? And Macy always says, never. Would I ever be ready to go? No. And then when like I'm writhing and dying on the floor, begging her, please, Macy, for God's sake, just be ready to record this episode. She'll stop and she'll start showing me random small things that are on her desk, like handfuls of pens or cough drop wrappers. Right now, she's showing me some kind of small twig that she apparently found outside or something. So the problem is now that I have this Pavlovian response to Macy just lifting things towards the camera. <laughs> yep. And I start giggling. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Anyway, oh, it's apparently a piece of wire. She has bent it into a shape for us. Thank you so much for listening, dear listeners. Um, let's get the fuck out of here before Macy shows us any more trash from her desk. <laughs> everybody thanks for joining us on this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit in which we attempted to the deeply unfunny task of explaining why things are funny i am still unconvinced that people who write humor are anything but witches for me humor is so much about spontaneity and surprise in a well-understood context that constructing it in text is just magic but anyway We have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on the 11th of September, we'll be discussing fusions and crossovers. 
if you want to prepare in advance, one of the tent poles for that episode is the fic With Fire in Their Eyes by Asuka Kareru, which is a crossover between Pacific Rim and Yuri on Ice. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I think you're funny enough to make a penguin laugh.